Well, good morning. Angie and I will plan on being back with you next Sunday. Uh, but for today, why don't we open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 again, where today we will finish looking at the wonder and the worship that takes place in heaven in John's vision found in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. So uh, this is sort of a, a good time of transition for us as we look back as well as move forward in our study of the book of Revelation. And of course, this is all taken place after John was given a great welcome to see the unseen through a door that was opened to him in heaven. And so just by way of review, but also by way of comparison of chapters 4 and 5, if you remember in chapter 4, all the wonder and worship that John sees and that John hears is focused on God the Father. It's focused on God the Father who is described as the one who is sitting on the throne. And what we found there in chapter 4 are two songs of praise that were offered to him because he was and certainly still is worthy, deserving to receive that praise. Uh, the first song of praise was by the four living ones, if you remember, the four beasts as it's translated in some uh, translations, who represent the best of God's creation. Uh, the best of God's creation. But then the second song of praise was by the 24 elders, who actually represent those who've been redeemed from God's creation, uh, God's people of all time, including you, including me. So that's chapter 4 and the worship and the wonder of that chapter. But then here in chapter 5, uh, we notice that the wonder and the worship that John sees and hears again actually shifts. And now it is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described there as both the lion and the lamb. He hears the lion and he sees the lamb. And in this chapter, there's not just two songs of praise, but three songs of praise that are offered to him because he was found worthy to receive and to open the scroll that rested in the right hand of God the Father. And of course, that scroll is what would reveal to John the end. Uh, the end of all that God started at the very beginning of his creation. And so really, this is where we've been looking for the last few weeks, the three songs of praise that are addressed to the Lamb because he is worthy to take and open the scroll. And these three songs of praise first begin with the four living ones and elders who join together in their worship of the Lamb in verses 8 through 10, which we've already considered. And of course, most of that song actually comes from the mouths of those 24 elders, though certainly the living ones would have been part of that, that whole scene of worship. But then that praise continues into the second song of praise, which we considered last Sunday, when the angels now express their worship in verses 11 through 12. And they have that great proclamation that we saw there in verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb. And of course, that is the theme of so many other songs of praise that have been written all throughout the, the church times in which we live. And, and certainly that ought to be the praise of our hearts. Worthy is the Lamb. Uh, yes, worthy is the one who sits on the throne, but also worthy is the Lamb. But then as we come into the passage that we'll consider this, this morning, this praise that starts toward the center of the throne and then expands out to where the angels are all throughout heaven. It expands even more in a third song of praise that swells, as we will see, to encompass all, all of God's creation. 
And this is what we find here in verses 13 and 14. So let us uh, read these verses together and then dig in a little deeper. Uh, being, beginning there in verse 13, John says, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Now one of the things that we've already noticed about this vision of heaven that is given to John by Jesus is that in heaven, everything is as is it supposed to be. In heaven, everything is as it is supposed to be. And that's why when we first look at uh, point number one on your, on your lesson guide, the climax of worship, and I think that really is a good description of these last two verses here. The climax of worship. We're told here in verse 13 that every creature is involved. I mean, that is the climax. Can you get any more climactic than that? Every creature is involved. And by every creature, I think it is intended for us to think in terms of all of God's creation, whether it is animate, you know, living, or even inanimate. So this kind of praise and worship is even described for us uh, all the way back in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, why don't we keep our fingers here, go back in our Bibles to Psalm 148, because in this particular Psalm, which again is very close to the end of the book of Psalms, every creature... All of God's creation, whether it's animate or inanimate, whether they have breath of life or not, they are urged to praise the Lord. And so I'd like us to read through Psalm 148 and keep in mind as we read this backdrop how, again, every creature is now swelling up in this chorus of praise to God in Revelation. So Psalm 148, again, every creature. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels. We saw that already. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. So these are inanimate objects. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. So don't we see in that wonderful psalm, every creature involved in praise. Every creature, that is all of creation. Of course, what we saw there, and if we head back to Revelation 5, what we'll see here is animate creation is certainly involved in this worship. 
And that would include those who are capable of this kind of worship, including you, including me, uh, people who have, have life and breath and, and have been made after the image of God and are able to exercise this worship in, in this way. But I don't think that it should exclude the animal kingdom, uh, the beasts of the earth, even as it's described in Psalm 148, because they too, here in Revelation 5, are represented in heaven. All of creation is represented, even the animals, by those four living ones. If you remember, uh, what were those four living ones resembling? What did they resemble? Uh, if you go back to chapter 4, verse 7, uh, we saw that, that one of the living ones was like a, a lion. Uh, the other living one was like a calf. Uh, the, the, the third one was like a man, had a face of a man, and of course the fourth was like a flying eagle. And so these living ones, who are certainly some high order of created angelic ministering being before the throne of God, they actually represent in worship to God all of God's creation, which is pictured in some of the most noble parts of God's creation, even in the animal kingdom. So certainly animate creation is involved in this climax of worship. But as we saw in Psalm 148, inanimate creation can also be involved. Uh, and it seems like that's the case here. For example, in Psalm 140, it talks about the sun and the moon and the stars and even the mountains and the hills and the trees. And, and certainly elsewhere in the Old Testament, those are personified and, and giving voice in order to bring their praise to the Lord. And so here in these last two verses, John is experiencing a spectacular vision of all of God's creation, whether it's animate or inanimate, inanimate in some way offering praise and worship to the Lord. Because again, in heaven, everything is as it's supposed to be. But this is not just some heavenly ideal that John is being shown that this is what, what it should be and not necessarily what it will be. Because we know that this is also something that one day will happen. It is something that will take place in the future. So here at the end of John chapter or Revelation chapter 5, it's as if John is transported in a spiritual way to see and to hear what it will be like at the end and the consummation of this present age. So it's not just a dream of some ideal that, that you know, we certainly wish could happen. He's transported to see and to experience what will be someday before God in heaven. Uh, as one writer says, Greg Beale, he puts this scene, this scene in Revelation chapter 5, this scene, especially in this third song of praise by all creation, this scene anticipates the universal acclamation, that is, everything in the universe, to be offered at the consummation, the end of all things. And so, even though John is seeing something that is rooted in the past, you know, when, when we talk about the, the living one saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that shows us what took place even in Isaiah chapter 6. So, so here we have a worship that is rooted in the past. We also have a, a worship that is existing in the present. Uh, you know, we have worthy is the Lamb of God. And of course, this would have been just taking place not long after Jesus ascended into heaven. So, so John is experiencing the results of the, of the life and the death and the burial and even the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus as the Lamb of God.
But now he's transported to see that this praise will extend even into the future as he anticipates the universal acclamation to be offered at the consummation of all things. Now this is something that we will see time and again in the book of Revelation. There are many times when John is taken forward to the end or, or forward to very much close to the end. But then he's brought back. He's brought back from the cusp of the end in order to learn more about what must happen before the end. And this means that in John's vision, things are not constrained by our understanding of time. And I think that's one of the reasons why Revelation seems so difficult for us as we go through the reading and the study of it, is because we don't know exactly where to place everything. Um, but I do think that just like any other prophecy that we find in the Old Testament, there is a, a fluidity uh, where, where God is able to show things that are both near and far as if they were almost together. And in, in many places in Revelation, we see that as well. And, and here in the throne room vision, I think we see it too. We have pet, past and present and even future of this glorious praise before God all taking place as if it were at the same time. So again, in John's vision, we are not constrained by our understanding of time. But the climax of worship here, again, with every creature involved, is a powerful scene. It's a powerful scene of unrestrained worship and praise, all because, remember, this is all because the Lamb was found worthy to open the scroll. None of this praise that is universal in scope would have ever taken place or will ever take place had the lamb not been found worthy. And of course, once again, the book of Revelation is not just there for us to read it or to hear it, but it is there for us to keep us to keep it. And part of the keeping of it is accepting invitations where you find them. And certainly this is one of those invitations because every other creature involves not just the people up, up there and the, the creatures up there, but the creatures down here. So we need to accept that invitation and join in with this Someday we will be joining in with that chorus, and we can join in with that chorus even today. But this climax of worship then leads, secondly, to the compass of worship. The compass of worship, because John continues there in verse 13 and tells us about every creature, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as in the sea and all that are in them. John says, heard I. So if you didn't know what every creature involved at the beginning of that verse, by the end of this verse, you will see that it is the entire scope of the creation and the universe. So here in verse 13, John combines expression after expression that refers to the totality of creation. Uh, there are actually five descriptions that are used. It's actually similar to what we found back in chapter 5, verse 3. If you remember, uh, John was weeping because no one was found to open the scroll that was sitting in the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. And so in verse 3, it says that no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look. Thereon. And so when we see here, we, again, we have that, that, uh, that, those phrases of universality, those phrases that deal with the totality of, of creation. Uh, these expressions can also be found in the Old Testament. 
Uh, there's so much in Revelation that we've already looked at that is rooted in the Old Testament, but also points forward to the future as well. Uh, but these expressions about heaven and earth and under the earth and even the sea uh, are found in the Old Testament, and they again refer to the entire universe of creation. Uh, the very first mention of especially these three descriptions are found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, where uh, in the very first commandment where God tells us that we are to have no other gods before him. And one of the reasons that are given is because in six days, the Lord made, he created what? Heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And so again, when we come back here to Revelation 5.13, um, we see, again, these expressions, these similar expressions being made and used to express the totality of creation all coming together in worship and praise to God. But now that the Lamb was found, right? Now that the Lamb was found, (laughs) um, every creature, and now instead of just those three descriptions that we found in Exodus and those three descriptions that we found in verse 3, Now we have the others added. Every creature in heaven, in earth or on earth, under the earth, and now we have added even in the sea and all that are in them, heaven, earth, sea, all of them, every creature bring forth this praise, really bring forth his praise. And this shows us the nature of this third song of praise. This song of praise is again, Comprehensive and complete. It's comprehensive and complete. This praise is comprehensive because even the angels and elders and living ones that already gave their songs of praise in this chapter, they're included here too. They're included because they are creatures themselves. So all together, even the angels and the elders and the living ones join their voices with everyone and everything else created by God. And so we have, again, in verse 13, a comprehensive symphony of praise of every creature that God ever made. Wow, what an amazing, amazing sound that must have been. But we also see that this praise is complete. It involves both the living and the dead. And by living and dead, I refer to the spiritual living and those who are spiritually dead. In fact, the phrase under the earth, the under the earth may refer to what has been described as the underworld, sort of the the place of the departed dead and especially the place of the departed dead who are lost and were without God in this world. Um, And so we see that, that idea of Sheol and Hades in this, in this phrase, under the earth. Um, now, the phrase in the sea uh, may even refer to the world of evil, uh, which would include the devil and all of his angels, who we will learn more about as we go through this, this book. Uh, later on in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, there's an evil beast that, well, there's one that comes out, out of the land, but there's also an evil beast that comes out of the sea because it was a place that was often symbolic of evil and especially of the devil's domain. Uh, Later on in in chapter 21, verse 1, where we find the scene of the new heaven and the the new earth, we're actually told that there is no more sea. 
And certainly one of the reasons for that is because of the symbolic meaning of the sea, not just here in Revelation, but really throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible. The sea was so often something that symbolized the place of chaos, the place of evil, the place of the devil himself. Not always, but in a lot of places you find that, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why it is added here as well. So the point of this great compass of worship involving every creature, including those who would have opposed God in their lives, is that they too will recognize that God is worthy of all praise. God is worthy of all praise from everyone, every creature. Now, this does not mean that everyone and everything will be saved. Uh, I mean, we've already read through the book of Revelation twice here, and I'm sure in your own personal Bible reading, you've read it through many times as well. And we know that not everyone will be saved, but everyone will acknowledge that God is worthy of this praise. And that's why Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2.10. We looked at this earlier. Um, but at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Now, that's not necessarily just because of, of their willing desire to adore and praise and worship God. It might even be under compulsion by those who do oppose God and will oppose God for eternity. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and the things under the earth. So you see those, those three descriptions again showing the totality of mankind, the universality of the submission before God. And, and certainly that is part of this praise by every creature that we find here in verse 13. But this then leads us to the consecration of worship, the consecration of worship that we find there at the, the end of verse 13. Again, picking up at the beginning, and every creature, all right, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that are in them, heard I, John says. And what are they saying? Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Now this time, in this song of praise, we have four qualities of worship. Four qualities of worship. In Greek, each one of these qualities has their own article. That is, has their own the in front of it. So you can look at it this way. Uh, these, every creature is, is saying and singing before God, the blessing and the honor, and the glory, and the power be unto them who lives forever and ever. And what that simply means is that all of every quality he is deserving of. Not only does he possess, but he is also deserving of. Um, of course, all of these qualities is something that God possesses. Now, now when we see this, this praise, uh, just like when we sing songs of praise, we add nothing to God's blessedness. We add nothing to God's honor. We add nothing to God's inherent glory. We add nothing to God's omnipotent power. He possesses all these attributes himself. But one of the things that God does in the creation of this world is he endows his creation with some of his attributes, certainly on a very, very minute and limited scale. And that is certainly why we can bless him. 
That is why we are able to honor him. That is why we are able to bring our glory, whatever that is, to him. That is why any power that God has given to us, we are able to honor him by giving it back to him. And so what we see is that these qualities belong to the Lord because they are his attributes and his creation recognizes that. And so that's part of this psalm. They are acknowledging that yes, these do belong to God. All blessing, all honor, all glory, all power, they are his and his alone. But at the same time, these same qualities are deserved by the Lord as well. And that's why we see the creation of God surrendering and offering any qualities that you've been given, any qualities that they've been given by the Lord, back to the Lord. And this is something that we saw even last week when we looked at the seven qualities of worship that were offered by the angels in their song. We recognize that all of these things in some limited way, perhaps we have, whatever we have been given by the Lord, endowed by the Lord, we submit and surrender back to the Lord. And that's part of worship. Now, there's a very interesting pattern in the, the, the three songs in Revelation 4 and 5 that list the qualities that both the Lord has and deserves. So again, there's three songs that have a listing of these qualities, qualities that God has and qualities that God deserves. Uh, in fact, if you go back to chapter 4, verse 11, in the elders' praise, to the one who is sitting on the throne. Of course, we know that to be God the Father. They praise him by saying what? Chapter 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive what? Glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So again, we have three qualities of worship that they render to the Lord. Then if you jump down to chapter 5, verse 12, we have the angels' praise. So this is the second song of praise that actually has qualities of worship. And they are praising who? The Lamb, right? Chapter 4 is the focus on the one sitting on the throne, and chapter 5 is the focus on the Lamb of God. And here in verse 12, they say with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive what? Now we have those seven qualities, power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. All right, so we have those seven there. Now we jump down to verse 13 of the same chapter, which is, of course, our text for today. Now every creature offers their praise by saying what? By saying blessing, and honor, and glory, and power. So we have four qualities. Be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Now, when you look at all three of those songs that have qualities of worship and praise in them, there are two specific qualities that are found in all three. We have glory and honor. So in the elders' praise in chapter 4, verse 11, and in the angels' praise in chapter 5, verse 12, and in the creature's praise, every creature's praise there in verse 13, you find the qualities of glory and honor. There is one more quality, and even though it is the same in English, it's a little different in Greek, and that is power. Um, and certainly the, the one in verse 13 may be a different 
underlying Greek word, but the idea is the same. And so we have the three qualities of glory and honor and power, and they all belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. So they're extended there in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 to both. But another interesting pattern emerges as well, and that is that the quality that ends one of the songs actually will begin the next. Again, the quality that ends one song actually begins the next. So if you go back to chapter 4, verse 11, what's the last quality that is offered to the one sitting on the throne? It is power. It is power. The, the Greek word for that is dunamis. And when we come to chapter 5, verse 12, that is actually the very first quality that is offered to the lamb in praise. But then when we look at all seven of those qualities in chapter 5, verse 12, what's the last quality given there in the angel's song? It is blessing. Blessing. The Greek word is eulogia. And what is the very first quality given in the song of every creature? It is blessing. So you can see the tie between all three of these songs that have the qualities of worship. And what this shows, simply, is that the, the praise that is offered in chapter 4 to God the Father is intimately connected with the praise in chapter 5 to the Lamb, of course, who is God the Son. It's praise to both. It is praise to all. And this is why, if we come back to verse 13, the praise of, the, of every creature is actually offered to both, isn't it? It's not exclusive to the one sitting on the throne or to the Lamb. It is actually offered to both. It is offered to him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And so what we learn from this in both chapters 4 and 5 is that though they are distinct in their persons, the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb who is standing by the throne, they are yet one in their nature because they are both worthy to be worshipped as God. And even though we do not have here at this moment the Holy Spirit involved, we certainly see the, the background and the foundation to the doctrine of the triune God of the Trinity. And so going forward in Revelation, we will see that the work of one is the work of the other. The work of, of the one sitting on the throne is the same work as the Lamb because they will finish what they started when they created all things. But then this leads us to the confirmation of this worship and the confirmation of this song of worship there in verse 14, where we're now told that the four beasts, so, so we, we now come back to the center of the throne, and the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever endeavor. So again, where the worship of the Lamb started in this chapter, and really where the worship of the one sitting on the throne started in chapter 4, this is where the worship now ends, with a fitting end to this throne room vision for John. Of course, we are told about the four living ones again. The four living ones were introduced to in chapter 4, and again, they will make their appearance throughout the book. But they worship with a single word, don't they? They worship with a single word, and that word is amen. Amen. Again, a fitting conclusion to all five praises, 
All five doxologies in these two chapters, uh, the the two in chapter four and the the three here in chapter five. But to say amen, you know, sometimes I think we we say this at the end of our prayer and, and we just kind of forget what it means. But to say amen can be a statement of both affirmation and aspiration. So when we say amen, perhaps at the end of a prayer or perhaps when someone else is praying and and we hear that prayer, we agree with that prayer, we affirm what is said in that prayer, we say amen. We're we're saying, so be it, Uh, because we agree with what we are saying. But but there are other times when, when, you know, when when someone is, is saying something that that, uh, that certainly is something that brings honor to the Lord. And we can say amen to that in the idea of aspiration. That is, may this be so. This is something that, yes, should be, and it is something that we still want it to be. And certainly that is what this amen means here in this verse as well. So this word amen by these four living ones is both a statement of affirmation and a statement of aspiration. So as a statement of affirmation, affirmation, the elders are expressing their agreement with everyone else that both God the Father and God the Son are worthy of their praise. So they're agreeing with every creature. And because they are part of God's creation, they are saying amen and agree that they are worthy of this praise. They are worthy of this worship. And so amen as an affirmation is, it is so. It is so. What has been sung in all of these chapters is so. Amen. But then as a statement of aspiration, at the same time, the elders express their belief that both the Father and the Son, both the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb, will forever be worthy of this kind of praise. So again, amen as aspiration means, may it be so. May this praise continue on for all, all, all eternity by every creature that has ever been given life and breath and has their being because they've been made by God. Now, even though in our texts, we only have one amen, right? So here we have the the, the four uh, beasts saying amen. It's interesting because the verb translated said is actually in a tense that indicates they say amen not just one time, but over and over again. Uh, the, the tense is imperfect. That is, it's an ongoing thing that John heard. Uh, some have even suggested that after each quality that was offered in praise, like the blessing, the honor, the glory, the power, perhaps after each one, they punctuated it with this, amen. So, the blessing, amen. The honor, amen. The glory, amen. The power, amen. Of course, we can't be sure uh, exactly where or how often they said amen, but we do know based on the way it's put here, it was something that they were saying in an imperfect tense way. They were saying in response to this worship. So they were constantly affirming and aspiring this great praise to the Lord. But then, not only uh, do we end with the the living ones, the four beasts, but now we have the 24 elders again. The 24 elders worship once again when they fell down and worshiped. This is actually the third time in these two chapters that we're told that the elders fall down and worship. So again, there's this this constant movement 
uh, of up and down, up and down. Again, we're not sure exactly when or how long uh, the intervals might be between. Uh, but if you go back to chapter 4, verse 10, these same 24 elders fell down before who? God the Father. Remember, chapter 4 is the focus on the one who is sitting on the throne, God the Father. So they fall down before God the Father because of his sovereign power sitting on that throne. But if we come back to chapter 5 and we look at verse 8, we find the 24 elders falling down again. But this time, who do they fall down before? Well, chapter 5 focuses on the Lamb. So here they fall down before the Lamb. And they have in their hands instruments of worship to the Lamb. So they're offering their, both their praise and their prayers, or, or our praise and our prayers, because they represent us, with those harps and with those bowls of incense. But now we come down to verse 14, the very end of this throne room vision. And here, the third time, these 24 elders fall down and worship. And they worship. And who do they worship? Well, in the King James, which is certainly underlied by the, the received text, we read that they worship him that liveth forever and ever. Now, most Greek manuscripts uh, do not actually have this last phrase. And that's why a lot of the modern translations that you'll, you'll have that are based on the, the, the critical text, if you will, um, they do not have this either. But if this is original, and I tend to think it is, because it was certainly something that was received by the churches for, for ages and ages. Who is this? Who is him that liveth forever and ever? Remember, the elders fell down and worshiped God the Father in chapter 4. The elders fall down and worship the Lamb here in chapter 5, verse 8. So here in verse 14, who do they fall down and worship? Him, singular, who is living forever and ever. Who is this one that lives forever and ever? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 18, we see that Jesus says he is the one that lives forever, right? Uh, this is, again, that, that first vision that John had of the, of the risen, glorious Savior. And in John or Revelation 1, 18, Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen and have the keys of hell and death. So Jesus certainly is the one who lives forever and ever. But if we go back to chapter 4, in verses 9 and 10, it's clear, because again, the focus of, of the, the wonder and the worship of chapter 4 is on the one sitting on the throne, God the Father. And in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it's clear that God the Father is the one who liveth forever and ever. It's even said that in their praise. Well, since both Jesus and the Father live forever, who do the elders worship here in this song? It's simply God. God in his unified nature. His unified nature as God. It is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, they're worshiping him, God, in his unified nature, the Godhead, if you will. Because they can only be the one who lives forever and ever. Again, even in that phrase, we can see the, the, the principles and the foundation of the doctrine of the Trinity. And it is this vision 
This vision of the heavenly throne room that controls the rest of what takes place in Revelation starting in chapter 6. And, and so as I've said before, you know, we don't separate uh, this throne room heaven, uh, throne room vision of heaven, uh, chapters 4 and 5, from the first three chapters. And we certainly must never separate these two chapters from what goes on after, in, beginning in chapter 6, because so much of it still takes place in this heavenly throne room. So these two chapters that we've looked at for the last several weeks here, Revelation 4 and 5, are central. They are, they are absolutely, they might not be the middle of the book, but they are certainly central to the book of Revelation as a whole. It's significant to the churches in chapters 2 and 3 because of the challenges that they face. But these chapters are significant also to the future in the rest of the book and even to the challenges faced by God's people until Jesus' return. As Robert Mounts writes, By his sacrificial death, the Lamb has taken control of history and guaranteed its future. Again, by his sacrificial death, the Lamb has taken control of history and guaranteed its future. What a glorious truth. And so whatever the churches were going through in chapter 2 and 3, Jesus came and is in control of that. And whatever happens from chapter 6 on, the Lamb is still in control of that. And that's why we have all these praises of worship and songs and doxologies given. Five of them in these two chapters to the Lord. So as we close, looking at chapter 4 and 5, I'd like us to finish by reading these two chapters just one more time. And then we add our own amens along with the amens in heaven. So Revelation chapter 4 and 5. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four living ones full of eyes before and behind. And the first living one was like a lion. And the second living one like a calf. And the third living one had a face as a man. And the fourth living one was like a flying eagle. And the four living ones had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, 
For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, a scroll, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four living ones, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living ones and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the living ones, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth, and under the earth, and such are as in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to explore these two magnificent chapters that reveal to us what things are like in heaven itself. And certainly, Lord, this is the way things are supposed to be. And Lord, I pray that we will experience the invitation that is implied in all of these doxologies, Lord, that we might join in with these hymns and songs and words of praise, surrendering and submitting anything that we are and everything that we have to you, because, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy in your nature. You are worthy in your grace. You are worthy in your sovereignty. You're, you are worthy in your love. And so, Father, I pray that we will, again, see that it is this central throne room that governs not just the history of the future, but Lord, even the history of the present, our own history, the history that we're going through right now, the history of the past, the present, and the future is all under your sovereign control and hand. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we will never forget that, that that will give us not only great comfort, but Lord, also great courage 
in order to live as the people of God that we are, knowing that someday, one day, at the consummation of all things, every creature will bow before the Lord Jesus and praise him because he is worthy. And now, Father, I thank you again for for your word, and I pray your blessing upon our service to follow. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things.